wow. His love changes everything. I don't know about you guys, but it has changed my life. Changed our lives. And it's still changing our lives and many lives. And hopefully as you're watching this program today, this devotion, you can think back to your life and you can say, yes, it has changed my life as well. And that's what you remember today because it changed people's lives back then. It changed the history of the world and it continues to change. And as Jesus hung on that cross, he hung on that cross for about six hours. He uttered what is known as the seven words of the cross. It's actually seven phrases, short phrases that he spoke during that time that he was hanging on the cross. You see, when you're being crucified, you, you don't have the strength nor the breath in your lungs to say long sentences. Often when that cross fell into the hole, uh, as they fell in the hole, they, their, their diaphragm was torn apart by that impact. And to breathe, the guys would have to, to exert pressure on, on their feet and try and, and breathe in. It was painful. They had nails on their feet. Remember, not a cushion over there to stand on. And so it was a very painful process. And yet, he spoke seven phrases as he was hanging there. You can do a whole series on this, but I'm going to briefly share with you those seven words and hope it will enrich a little bit our Good Friday experience as we remember his crucifixion. The first word, and I'm going to share them in the way, in the sequence we believe they were uttered. They come from the four Gospels. The first one comes from Luke chapter 23, verse 34. Then Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. What an unselfish prayer. He's hanging on the cross. He's being betrayed. These people are mocking him, making a fool out of him. If I was Jesus, I don't think I would have said, prayed, forgive them. I'd say, God, help me. <laughs> get me out of here. Or maybe even something nastier to get those guys down there. But Jesus says, forgive them. An unselfish prayer. Not help me, but forgive them. Wow. Have you ever been betrayed? Has anybody ever hurt you? I'm, come on, I'm sure that along your life, at least one or two people have hurt you. I want you to think of those people. Just come on, think with me, a couple of people that have hurt you. And now, I want you to think of them, and I want you to say this phrase, Father, forgive them. Are you ready? Let's do it together. Let's go. Father, forgive them. How does that feel? Like? <laughs> but, but he goes further. He's, he doesn't just say, Father, forgive them. He says, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I wonder if I could think of the people that have hurt me and say, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do or did not know what they did. Because I'm sure when they hurt you, they knew what they were doing, man. <laughs> Come on. But you see, <laughs> take a moment to think about this. How does that feel to say, forgive them, Father? How does that feel to say, forgive, Father? Because I'm sure they didn't know what they were doing. You see, when Jesus said, they do not know what they do. He is saying they do not fully understand the implications of what they are doing. In fact, Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2 8 that if the rulers knew and understood the implications of what they were doing, they would not have crucified Jesus. 
And isn't that true of so much that is going on in the world today? If people truly knew the eternal perspective and consequences of what they are doing, a lot of wrong in this world would not be done. But people are ignorant. They're thinking right now of this moment. They're thinking of themselves, of their own comfort, of getting out of pain, getting out of this, being, being famous, being this. Being, they are thinking of now. And so they're making decisions which are hurting people and hurting themselves like they did to Jesus. Wow. And yet, Jesus says, you know what? You are accountable for everything that you do. But I will pay the price for your sin. You should pay that price. You might not fully know the consequences of what you are doing, but you know that you are doing wrong. But Jesus said, Father, forgive them. Forgive him. Forgive her. Forgive this guy here, me. <laughs> because they don't know what they're doing. Forgive them, Father. And I think if Jesus hadn't prayed that prayer, we couldn't be forgiven, man. You see, Jesus said, forgive. Forgive who? Forgive when he said, forgive them. Forgive who? Pilate and the leaders of those days? Or the high priest which orchestrated his death? Or all the soldiers which physically crucified him? Or all the people that were there mocking him? Forgive who? Yeah, I, I think that whole lot. Plus you and you and you and you and me. Because you see, when Jesus said forgive them, he asked God to forgive all the sinners. As he was hanging on that cross, he was taking upon himself the sin of the whole world. Your sin and my sin. So you and I are included in this forgive them. Forgive them. Wow. So many people are still doing things they don't understand. This prayer goes out to them as well. And this shows the depth of God's mercy. It is demonstrated in this first utterance. Father, forgive them. The second one comes from Luke 23, 43. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. You remember the story. Jesus is crucified between two criminals. And that in itself was a fulfillment of prophecy because the prophecy said that Jesus would be counted with transgressors. When people mocked Jesus, these two guys joined in as well. They were mocking Jesus. But then something happened to one of them. Maybe it was the first utterance of Jesus which touched a chord in his life. Maybe he started thinking of what he had heard about Jesus. And something shifted because all of a sudden, he told his friend, oh, shut up, man, because you and I, are we, get, we are getting what we deserve. But this man, he's done no wrong. And then he turns to Jesus and says, Lord Jesus, remember me in paradise when you go to your kingdom. And Jesus said, hey, I'll tell you, today we're going to be together, man. Today we're going to be in paradise. Of course, Jesus couldn't say so much as say the short word, today you'll be with me in paradise. That means that as soon as they died, as soon as this, this crucifixion was done, they were going to be in heaven, in the presence of God, in the presence of Jesus. It shows us that when we die, we immediately go to the presence of God. There's no waiting around, no hanging around. There's no journey to get to the other side. When the life here ends, you are on the other side. If you trust in Jesus, you will be with Jesus. If you don't trust in Jesus, you will not be with Jesus, but you'll be there somewhere. <laughs> okay? And so... 
Faith is all that you need. This man had faith. This man repented. He turned from his ways. He turned from, from his, his thoughts about Jesus were changed. And that's what repentance is. To acknowledge who you are and who Jesus is. This guy didn't have time to get baptized. He didn't have time to go and do good works to balance out his bad works. Like some people think you have to do. No. Now listen, you and I, we are alive. We've got time. So yeah. If you can't be baptized, get baptized. If you can do some good works, do some good works. Serve in your church, serve your community, fine. But you don't do it to get salvation. You do it because you got salvation. We serve God out of gratitude for what he has already done for us. Jesus is still listening today. And anyone who comes to him and says, Lord Jesus, remember me. <laughs> That's all you have to do. Remember me, Lord Jesus. He'll say, come. You believe in me, you have faith in me, you'll be with me in paradise. The third word comes from John 19, verses 26 to 27. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, that's the disciple John, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own home and he cared for her. These are actually two phrases, but since they were spoken together, they are counted as one phrase, one word. At the end of his life, in great pain, Jesus does not neglect his family responsibilities. He is the firstborn. He is the one looking and taking care of his family. His mother knew who he was. She's been following his life from before birth, remember? His siblings, not so much. They had some doubts about him. It's only after his resurrection that they really became convinced and followed him. And so Jesus trusts his mother to the care of a brother in faith. Amen. In the faith. John. And uh, he was being faithful to that command of honor your father and your mother. The way he spoke to his mom, it sounds a bit harsh, woman. Actually, the translation should be dear woman. But that was also a term used in those days, almost as a legal term. It's as if Jesus, from the cross, is stating his last will and testament for everybody to hear. That he's officially charging John to look after his mother. So when John looks after his mother, nobody can say he hasn't got a right to do it. He has spoken and he used almost like a legal term to say that. In his dying moments, he took time to provide care for his mom. This shows as well his humanity and his love for his mother who suffered so much by accepting the task of being the earthly mother of the Savior of the world. Fourth word, Mark 15, 34. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? These are painful words. This is a painful statement. You see, sin and iniquity separates man from God. Jesus has never been separated from Father God until now. The Bible says that God made him who had no sin to be sin for us. So that we might become the righteousness of God. It also says that Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. As Jesus takes upon himself the sin of mankind. Our sin, your sin came upon him. God 
who is holy had to distance himself from Jesus for a while. Apart from all the physical suffering, Jesus now experienced the mental and spiritual agony of not knowing nor sensing the presence of God, of being totally alone, separated from the love of the Father. This phrase is also the opening phrase of Psalm 22. Some suggest that Jesus actually recited to himself that psalm as he was hanging on the cross. If you read Psalm 22, you'll find a detailed description of the crucifixion of Jesus, written by David a thousand years, a thousand years before it happened, in the time when crucifixion did not exist. And yet, David details this day. Take some time and read it. You'll be amazed. So not only is Jesus feeling the separation, the agony of separation, but he's also fulfilling prophecy. Fifth word, John 19, 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Wow. Jesus senses the end is near. He is thirsty. He needs to get ready for his final words. He's tired. He senses his life is slipping away. And so he declares his thirst. And they give him sour wine. This was a cheap wine which people used, you know, just to quench their thirst. The Roman soldiers probably had a container with this for their own use. And they dipped and they gave him a little bit of this just to give him some, some strength. Again, we see the humanity of Jesus. He was no superhero with, with superpowers. He was a human being just like us. He suffered pain, just like us. He was thirsty, just like we would be if we're in that situation. This leads us to his last two words. The sixth word is John 19.30. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. All was now accomplished. Jesus had been, had been on the cross now for around six hours. He has endured great physical and emotional suffering. He has endured taking the sin of the world upon himself. He has experienced a break in fellowship with God the Father. Now his work is done. He did what he came to accomplish in this world. The Bible says that he came to take away the sin of the world. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to give his life a ransom for many. He came to save sinners. He came to take away our sins. And now it was finished. When he said it is finished, the term that he's used was used back in those days as in commerce to mean paid in full. You see, our debt to God because of our sin had been paid in full. In spite of being weak, Jesus summons his strength and he proclaims this statement in a loud voice. It is finished. Those who are defeated, when you die in defeat, you go out with a, with a whimper. But the victorious one, he announces his victory loudly and broadly. It is finished. The victory shout of Jesus went out across that hillside and from there to the whole world, touching us 
today. His work for me, for you, for us is finished. Hallelujah. And then the seventh word, Luke 23, 46. And when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, when he had said, it is finished, with a loud voice, when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And having said this, he breathed. He's lost. These words are actually the words of a psalm written by David. Into your hands I commit my spirit. Redeem me, O Lord, the God of truth. Psalm 31, verse 5. These words are part of an evening prayer used daily by devout Jews. And so Jesus had been saying, as a devout Jew, he had often been saying these prayers in the evening. Notice that he addresses his Father. It's not just my God, but it's Father. He is back in fellowship with the Father. He has paid the price for man's sin. It is finished, and God is here with him in his last moments. As I said, Jesus has been praying this prayer often. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And now, in his, his dying moments, he says it again. One last time. He prays with peace and with confidence. He knows that his life with the Father beyond death. And after saying this prayer, he dies. As Jesus was dying, darkness covered Jerusalem. As he breathed his lost, an earthquake shook Jerusalem. And the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom. All this commotion caused the Roman centurion to confess that Jesus was a righteous man. In his dying hours, Jesus displayed his humanity, his divinity, his desire and power to heal and forgive. He displayed his love. As I said, he could have prayed and angels could have come and have taken him down from that cross and given a good whacking to all those people around him that were mocking him. But you see, his love for you, his love for me, is what kept him on the cross. His love changed everything. And it continues to change everything today as you and I allow his love to flood our lives. Take time today to meditate on these words of the cross this weekend. Think about it. Yes, Jesus suffered. But because he suffered, that Friday became a good Friday. Sunday is coming and we will celebrate his resurrection and victory over death. We're going to close in prayer and uh, you go ahead and enjoy the rest of this day. Enjoy this weekend and we'll see you on Sunday again. Father God, we thank you for your love for us in sending your son Jesus to pay the price for our sin. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you, you were obedient to the will of the Father and you did what you had to do, Lord. You gave your own life. You took upon yourself our sin. And today we remember the great sacrifice. We acknowledge that salvation did not come cheap, did not come easy. A dear price was paid for our salvation. We acknowledge it. 
and we thank you for it, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Amen and amen and amen. The Lord bless you. Enjoy your day. See you Sunday for our resurrection service. Amen.